We are finishing up a long series on First and Second Kings this uh, fall in Second Kings, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to uh, the passage that we read. We read part of chapters 22 and 23. Uh, these have been long readings, I know, and we've had to to clip pieces together just to get through the long readings in, in our services. This is the last one of those, and it's good to come to the end of, of this uh, really sad book. Uh, come, come to it now, um, and uh, tonight we're going to be thinking about moving from rubble to renewal. So it's on page 283 in the Church Bible, if you're turning there. Chapters 22 and 23 of 2 Kings. Uh, 79 years ago today, in London, the bombing stopped. For two months, the bombs had been falling day and night during the German Blitz, and uh, many lives had been lost. More than 13,000 civilians had been killed. Another 20,000 have been injured in factories and bridges and schools and railway stations and homes and hospitals and churches have all been flattened and incinerated. And then for unknown reasons, there was silence. The bombing had stopped. I want to invite you to picture yourself there um, just for a moment, emerging from the rubble in the silence calm after the storm, a survivor. What will you do today? Will the bombers return? No telling. The war is far from over. It looks like uh, the Nazis will probably win. London may not survive much longer. England may not survive much longer. Today, however, the bombing has stopped. So what will you do today? Maybe it's hard to picture yourself in the Blitz. Um, that was a long time ago. I figure that most of us have had some kind of experience like this, one way or another. Most of us have come to a momentary breather after a long battle of one kind or another. Maybe, uh, maybe it's just crushing workload for months and months and months, and you come to a moment where you've got a break, and you come out in the midst of the rubble and just have a look around and think, what now? What, what am I going to do today? Maybe uh, it's been something more personal, maybe a, a relationship that's been fractured, or an illness, or a political cause, and you just come to a moment where you can pause and have a look around. I'm, I've been reading about how uh, there have been a lot of different agencies in, in the federal government that have been downsized uh, over the past couple of years. And uh, reading about in the USDA, two different departments uh, that their workforce has been reduced to one-fourth of the size that they had uh, just a few years ago. And wondering about the people that are still left and what it's like for them midst of, of uh, so many of their colleagues being gone. I know it's the same in the Department of State and other places. Um, maybe there's no break. Maybe the war is still raging, uh, but you are just thinking, what am I going to do today? That's 
That's what this Old Testament lesson about Josiah is all about. Um, chapters 22, 23 of 2 Kings. By the time of today's lesson in 2 Kings, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria, has already fallen to the Assyrians. What remained of David's united kingdom, the great empire of Solomon, has been uh, carved off by different empires and reduced to the point that it is now a tiny city-state, uh, just Jerusalem and a little bit of land around it. Imagine if the United States got carved up into bits to the point that all that is left is just D.C. and the Beltway region. That's, that's where we are in the story of the sad story of the dissolution of Israel. And that's what uh, eight-year-old Josiah inherited when he became king at the beginning of our reading tonight. Solomon's great empire was lying in rubble all around him, and he had to decide what to do today. And what he decided is absolutely remarkable, uh, not, even, not only just for an eight-year-old boy, but even if he had been uh, an old man making the decisions that he did. Um, it, it was extraordinary how well he responded to the crisis. At the end of these two chapters, the report comes about Josiah. Uh, you know, at, in every one of these stories of the kings, there's a report at the end saying whether they did a good job or a bad job. If you flip to page 284, you'll see chapter 23, verse 25, describes him with the highest praise of any king of Israel or Judah during this entire period. It says, before him, this is verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. He's the only Old Testament king with a record of complete faithfulness to the Lord. So, what was his secret? How did he know what to do? What did he do? That's what we're going to be talking about um, as we look at this passage. Before we go any further, let me invite you to pray with me uh, as we dive into the text together. Lord, we give thanks to you for your word, and we give thanks to you for your Holy Spirit that you pour out upon us when we gather. We're so glad that you meet us here and that you speak to us. We want to hear from you today. We know that these old stories are your words for us today to shape how we live today. So we pray that you would guide us and shape our hearts and minds and send us out from this place having heard from you and been directed by you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. So for all of us who find ourselves standing in the midst of the rubble like Josiah, uh, here are the two things on Josiah's to-do list when he, when he uh, got up that first morning as, as king. Um, to do the right thing, to choose to do the right thing was the first thing. Choose to do the right thing, and then secondly, to put your hope in the Lord. And I want to talk about each of these. Uh, first, what we see in Josiah is, is a call to choose to do the right thing. If you look at chapter 22, verse 1, uh, you see Josiah takes over as an eight-year-old boy. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. 
And the idea of an eight-year-old king seems pretty terrible, doesn't it? I mean, you know how this is going to turn out. Uh, he is undoubtedly going to be uh, ruled by some puppet master behind him who's calling all the shots, some malevolent manipulator um, in the shadows. Inevitably, he's going to be spoiled rotten because he gets to do whatever he wants, right? This is the way it's got to go. And yet, as it turns out in this story, um, Josiah is the best. He ends up being the very best king of all. And this is probably because of uh, the horrific background that he comes from um, and how he turns to the Lord early in life. Uh, he was the grandson of Judah's most wicked king, Manasseh. We heard about Manasseh early on in this series. Manasseh means forgetfulness, and Manasseh forgot the Lord. Um, Manasseh sacrificed at least one of his sons to demons in the fire. Fortunately, Josiah's father was not among the sons sacrificed in the fire. So Josiah's father, Ammon, became king after Manasseh died. Um, and when that happened, Josiah was six years old. Two years later, there was a coup. Ammon was killed, and Josiah finds himself king at eight years old. Uh, all of the people who had conspired against Ammon were then killed. And so not only does uh, Josiah inherit a kingdom at eight years old, but he also inherits a kingdom that's been stripped of all of its adult senior leaders. So think about the good news and bad news that he hears on that first day. Uh, the, the good news, Josiah, is that you're king. <laughs> the bad news is that uh, your country is a, a tiny, tiny scrap of the empire that it used to be. And uh, you have no leaders left. And by the way, the Babylonians are coming. They're coming. They're going to get you sooner or later. But good news, you can stay up as long as you like. You know? <laughs> Have whatever you want to eat. <laughs> as much to you as you like. You're the king. There was some really good news um, that came in those early days as, as king for Josiah. Uh, somehow, the Lord preserved the witness in the palace. In the midst of all the other chaos, the Lord preserved faithful witness there. I think of uh, Master Cornelius in C.S. Lewis's mm. Prince Caspian. Uh, somebody like that. There was someone in the palace who taught Josiah about the Lord. And so uh, we read in Chronicles about Josiah making this, this uh, profession of faith in the Lord when he was just 16 years old. Something happened that made him an adult in the faith early on. And he embraced God the God of his ancestor, King David. And from that time on, Josiah became this mighty instrument in the hands of the Lord. And he did so by consistently choosing to do the right thing over and over again. Um, we know from Chronicles that the first dilemma that he encountered was what he should do with all of the shrines to foreign gods that were scattered on every hilltop throughout his land. On the one hand, hardly anybody was concerned about this at all. Um, in fact, it was just common sense to most everybody that um, you should have shrines to all the different gods uh, so that you wouldn't offend any of the gods. Uh, 
ones. And so it just made perfect sense to have all of these. There were a few old folks in the kingdom, some old fuddy-duddies who were a little bit concerned about this. They felt like they should only worship uh, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they were you know, fundamentalists who said that that God was the only God. Um, but the cool kids just laughed at them and uh, told them to get with the times and stop being so closed-minded and so on. So that was sort of the climate that Josiah uh, encountered when he was 16 years old. But the thing was, for Josiah, he knew that those other gods weren't just um, uh, friendly uh, potential, uh, potential helps to him or to his people because he knew that his uncle had been sacrificed to demons in the flames on one of those altars. He had, he had seen uh, the carnage that came from these, uh, these idols. So, um, even though he didn't have access to a Bible at all, he still had the, the good sense to know that um, if you've given your heart to the Lord, as he had, you cannot also worship idols. It's, it's adultery. It's two-timing. It's cheating. He knew that much. He knew that sooner or later, with all these other idols, it would destroy his relationship with the Lord, and it would have the same effect uh, on the people. It probably already had. So for Josiah, inheriting a land filled with idols wasn't a blessing at all. It was a curse. And standing in the rubble of the so-called Holy Land, he looked out and he saw that it wasn't holy. It was defiled. It was defiled with the filth of idols. He was appalled by it. So, Josiah chose to do the right thing. He began to purge the kingdom of idolatry. Come what may, he, he was going to do it. Even if they called him fundamentalist. He was going to do it. Uh, he, wherever there was a shrine to a false god, he would have his people tear it down, and then he would have them go to a nearby grave site, pull up some human bones, and scatter those bones on that site so as to defile it so that nobody would go there anymore. And he did that all across the country uh, to get rid of all of those idols. Regardless of how unpopular it may have made him, Josiah chose to do the right thing. Um, most, most of us occupy positions of power in one way or another. You may be little, you may be a freshman, you may be new on the job, you may be lowest on the totem pole, uh, but you likely have influence still. There, there are probably a lot of good reasons why you should keep your mouth shut and not say anything about the rotten stuff that's going on at work or school uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, you see things that are broken and need, uh, need to be addressed. Probably, you know, Prudence says you should keep your mouth shut. But today, you could be like Josiah and choose to do the right thing. Choose to speak up. And I think Josiah would say it was God's call on his life to do this. I would argue it's God's call on all of our lives to choose to do the right thing. Think about it, Josiah really wasn't any more powerful than we are. He, he was the king, uh, but some kingdom, right? I mean, he was, he was still a boy. His kingship was incredibly fragile. His kingdom was incredibly fragile. 
fragile. He didn't know what the future would bring. He didn't know whether he would be king for many more years or whether uh, the Babylonians would attack tomorrow. He had seen his dad killed after just two years on the job, so somebody could come and do the same thing to him. Um, he didn't know how strongly the people would react to his purging of idols. He just chose to do the right thing. He knew it was God's call in his life. And come what may, he chose to do this. I want to say, you should do this too. God's call on your life, too. For Josiah, the, probably the riskiest location for the purge was right in his backyard, right next door to the palace. It was the Jerusalem temple itself. Um, most of us know what it's like to move from one home to another. And, you know, when you learn that you have to move, um, you know how depressing it is to walk into your house and look around and like, how did all this junk get here? What am I going to do with it? Now just imagine that feeling walking into a massive temple complex and it is loaded up with centuries of idolatry. Um, I talked about Central American taxi buses in the morning service and nobody really understood. Maybe this, maybe you haven't been to Guatemala and seen these uh, buses that get converted and repurposed over one generation after another, uh, layer and layer of paint, and uh, maybe there's a Virgin Mary statue figurine on the hood, and maybe they've added perhaps a microwave inside, maybe a generator on the roof, a satellite dish, maybe television inside, maybe they have a cart on the back, a chicken coop that they're uh, hauling around. And the thing is about these taxi buses is that they've had so many renovations and additions that there's really no place to sit inside anymore. Um, anybody see one of those before? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Um, well, that's kind of what had happened to the temple by this point. It was so junked up. It had had so many renovations. It was no longer useful at all. Um, by this time, the temple had been looted and renovated six times. And every time that it got renovated, it was renovated in this kitschy, garish kind of way, adding on these other gods over and over again, so that, uh, as you heard in the reading, when they started cleaning out the temple, my goodness, look at all the stuff, that, all the junk that they pulled out. There were statues for Baal, and Asherah, and stars, and Moloch, Chemosh, and Milcom. There were male prostitutes living in the temple complex. Uh, there were pagan priests who had been ordained by the, the previous kings in Jerusalem. This was the house of the Lord that was filled with all of this junk, all this filth. Again, just walk in like, how did all this stuff get here? Yeah, years and years and years of disobedience to the Lord. French reformer John Calvin once said that our hearts are idol factories. He said, it is our nature to mass-produce idols. Think about it for a moment. We sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We could add to that, prone to manufacture idols all the time. That's it's just sort of our disposition. One moment we're making a God of ambition, another moment we're making a God of pleasure, another moment we're making a God of good looks, another uh, moment 
God of popularity and so on. These are just coming off the assembly line and they're falling into a great storage unit of our hearts that fills up week by month by year throughout our lives. And we stockpile them, and then at some point, uh, when, when we need the Lord, we find it's kind of hard to feel Him. It's kind of hard to get that, that close sense of touch with the Lord. And why? Well, because our hearts are jumped up with all of this stuff that we've been making day after day for so, so long. We need to clean it out, just like that Central American taxi. You know, just gotta go back to the beginning, get all the junk out, and use it for carting people around. Our, our hearts need a cleanse. Josiah saw all of this stuff in the temple, and he chose to do the right thing. He had it all carried out and burned up in the fire. It takes only a minute to summarize all that he did. But it took, in fact, six years of hard work to cleanse the country, and especially the temple, of all of this idolatrous junk. Deep cleanse like this is always hard work, whether you're doing it in your garage or whether you're doing it in your heart. But even though it was hard, and people probably hated him for it, Josiah was doing the right thing. Day after day, for six years, he chose to do the right thing. And after six years of hard work, the kingdom and the temple have been cleansed of these false gods. So again, I'm saying to you, choose to do the right thing. It's God's call on your life. So that's the first thing to see here in uh, Josiah's recipe for success. The second thing I want to point out to you, though, is, is equally important, or perhaps more important, and that is to put your hope in the Lord. It's the second part of his to-do list. And um, it's important because doing the right thing can only take us so far. We can't fix all of our problems. Washingtonians ought to understand this better than anybody else, but we're hopeless idealists and activists, aren't we? Um, maybe the only thing that Republicans and Democrats agree on is that if we would simply choose to do the right thing or the right things, then all of the problems in our country would disappear, right? Of course, the two parties can't agree on what any of those things are, so we never make progress on any of them, basically. Um, but this fundamental belief, this unwavering belief in activism is there on both sides. And it's contagious, it's contagious amongst Christians today. Uh, we often think that the last generation of Christians previous generation was too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. And so this generation has reacted and uh, we have taken up social justice with a vengeance and we have one cause after another. Um, we believe that if we can just do the right thing, we will abolish human trafficking in our lifetime. We can just do the right thing, we will rescue all the children in foster care. We can just do the right thing, we will repair all the damage of 400 years of racism in our country. You get the idea. And there is nothing wrong with these goals. These are godly goals, holy ambitions. In fact, I'll say it again, it's God's call on your life to be a part of such things. We should be working towards these ends. The problem is that sometimes we become so obsessed with doing the right thing, especially in a city like this, 
that we put all of our hopes in ourselves rather than in the Lord. And at the end of the day, this is its own kind of idolatry. We take the Lord off of the throne and put ourselves up there just to see how it feels. And we, we can't do this. We can't allow our activism to be turned into idolatry. We have to remember the Lord and put our hope in Him. This also is God's call on your life. To remember the Lord and put your hope in Him. You think about Josiah after six long years of doing this purge, he was ready to start making stuff new, you know? I mean, if you've ever renovated a house, you know uh, what how depressing it is to have to keep going to the dump over and over again, getting rid of stuff, and how exciting it is to turn that corner and begin uh, putting up new drywall, or to begin painting, or doing whatever it is you're fixing things up. And he was ready to get to work on the temple. So Josiah said to his chief of staff, uh, Shaphan was his name, go over and see the high priest, uh, look in our treasury, find out how much money we've saved, and hire some workers so that we can get going with the renovation. But when Shaphan, uh, his chief of staff, arrived at the temple, if you want to follow along, page 283, um, Verse 8 of chapter 22, Hilkiah, the high priest, had some troubling news. He said, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. This is very likely in the book of Deuteronomy, if not the first five books of the Bible. Uh, this was a book that had been forgotten by Manasseh, the forgetful, wicked king. So they had not had a Bible at all for probably 50 years. Um, it, it was buried under junk or under treasure, uh, something. And now, after a period of 50 years, it's rediscovered. So Shaphan, uh, the, the uh, chief of staff, took it, and he read it. He returned to the king. Uh, he gives a good report. He said, I did what you told me. Found out how much money we have. Hired the laborers. And oh, by the way, there's this book that was found. It doesn't say the book. It doesn't say the book of the law. It says a book. And uh, let me read it to you. Did. And then verse 11, when the king heard the word of the Lord, he tore his clothes. By this time, he had been following the Lord for about a decade. He'd been an adult believer uh, for about that length of time. But as far as we know, this was the first time he had ever heard God's word. Part of what he would have heard from Deuteronomy chapter 17 were the requirements for a king. Things like uh, reading God's word every day required of a king. And, and also along with it would have been all of the warnings against idolatry and the guarantee that if they fell into idolatry as they had, that they would be sent away into exile. So you can imagine uh, how Josiah must have felt after working so hard all those six years, day after day, choosing to do the right thing, tore his clothes, probably in fear and anguish and some repentance and a lot of just sheer exhaustion, you know? Again, there's nothing wrong with Josiah's activism. It was God's call in his life to do the things that he had done. He was absolutely right to do it. Um, but it simply wasn't enough to save the kingdom. 
Verse 13, Josiah sent a delegation to one of the prophets saying, go uh, ask the Lord what's going to happen. And uh, verses 16 and 17, they found out, and it was really bad news. In fact, said, thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and upon its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. Basically, it was too late. Actions have consequences, and the, uh, the, the wickedness of Judah over centuries had piled up to the point that there was no return, no fixing it, no repair. The only way to resolve it, uh, the just way to resolve it, would be for them to go into exile. So what do you think about all of Josiah's hard work at this point? Do you think it was a waste? Think he shouldn't have done it? Had he been a fool to work so hard? Of course not. No. He really truly did the right thing for six years. It really was God's call on his life. And the Lord was genuinely pleased. If you see, there's also a, a, a bit that the prophet has for Josiah in verses 18 through 20. Hear this special, special message for Josiah. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus Shall you say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring upon this place. So they brought this word back to the king. Josiah could not save the kingdom of Israel, but his hard work had not been in vain. He, he had chosen to do the right thing, and because of it, God withheld the blitz for a generation. And, and this was a gift. This was a gift to Josiah and his family. It was also a gift to all the people living in that time. Uh, probably many of them were spared. Many uh, perhaps returned to the Lord But, in a way, all of this was a gift for Josiah, if you think about it. Because it was important for him, as he grew in the faith, to know, as good as his activism was, that he wasn't the Savior. It's a super important lesson for all of us, especially living here, especially uh, with the, the demands on our lives oftentimes do great things. Someone greater than Josiah was going to have to save the kingdom. Josiah's name means the Lord heals, and he needed to learn that, didn't he? He needed to learn that the Lord, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was the only one who could heal what was broken in that place. In the fullness of time, that's precisely what he did, right? That's what happened at Christmas and Easter when Jesus, God incarnate and heir to the throne of David came into our broken world, into the rubble. He started uh, turning over the tables in the temple, cleaning house there. He started uh, driving out demons, started teaching God's word in a, in a powerful way. He calmed the storms. He raised the dead. Jesus, 
then went to the cross and he conquered death and sin. These are things that Josiah just couldn't do. As powerful as he was, as good as he was, he couldn't do it. And ultimately, Josiah needed Jesus to come and do these things. He couldn't save. Only Jesus saves. So here's, here's the point, and I just, I've got to say it again. It is wonderful what you've been doing. Working for Little Lights, or for DC 127, or for IJM, or World Bank, or Congress, or whoever you've been working for, doing the good things you've been doing. It is wonderful. Keep doing it. It's God's call on your life. Keep seeking the common good. Don't grow weary in doing well. But also remember this. The people that you're helping, what they need most is more than what you can give them. Do everything you can, not only to help them with what you've got, but also to point them to the Savior. We have a friend in Rwanda, Bishop John Ruchihana, who uh, hasn't visited us for a while, but he's, he's come and spoken here a number of times. He used to always say this uh, when he would visit. He, he would say, he would point out this quote that's wrongly attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which is, um, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. St. Francis never said that. But he, he, John or Giovanna would say, uh, don't come to Rwanda doing good without telling us about Jesus. Because we might wrongly suppose that you people are our saviors when you cannot possibly do all of that for us. Do good and tell us that Jesus sent you so that we can remember that it is Jesus who saves. It's a good word. It's a word we need to hear. So, again, this was Josiah's to-do list. I'm commending it for all of us to consider. First of all, choose today to do the right thing. And then secondly, put your hope in the Lord. And then wash, rinse, repeat. Day after day. That's... That's the recipe that worked for Josiah. I'm telling you, it's the recipe that will work for us as well. Choose to do the right thing. Put your hope in the Lord. Both together are God's call on our lives. If we had the time, we could keep going with Josiah. We could discover how this pattern continued in his story. He would choose to do the right thing, and then he would also turn to the Lord. There is this covenant renewal ceremony that happens. We heard that, and it's wonderful. And then he gets busy doing some more uh, renovations and, and more purging. And then at the end of the story, uh, they reinstitute Passover for the first time in, in a long, long time. You know, Passover is a great reminder that uh, we can't save ourselves. We need the Lord to come and rescue us. And this is what Josiah uh, continued to do all the way to the end. And then we hear this great report about him at the end, that he was the best king of all. Nobody else kept the word of the Lord quite like him. And with this, we come to the end of this series in 2 Kings, a series that we've entitled Jesus and the End of Israel. Josiah was the best king of all. He's even better than King David. And as we heard, he really kept the, the word of the Lord better than anyone else. 
Think of all the great things that he did, purging his kingdom of idolatry. He returned the word of God to its place in the kingdom. Uh, he repaired the temple. He reinstated the Passover, all of these things. But all of that, again, was not enough to save the kingdom. So only a few years after Josiah, um, the Babylonians came and they carted everybody off. And this is just what God had warned would happen. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Just as God's justice was certain with the Babylonian exile, so also is God's promise of salvation. Because God so loved the world, he sent his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And at the end of 2 Kings, in the end of the kingdom of Israel, a weary world sings, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Jesus is the end of Israel and the salvation uh, for the whole world. I want to say that today we stand in the rubble one way or another. Uh, this has been a good series for us, I think. It ends up here, and we, uh, I think, can emulate Josiah. I think it's our call uh, in this day and age to do the right thing today. God will bless our efforts. We can also put our hope in the Lord, remembering that he's the Savior. He's the one who gave his life so that the whole world may be saved. Let's turn to him now in prayer. I'll lead us for a moment and then we'll go into prayers people. Thank you, Lord, for this reminder. And thank you for your call upon our lives. To serve you, doing the right thing, to point others to you as the Savior. We have hope because of Jesus, because of his triumph over sin and death because of his resurrection we know that our good work is not in vain and we know that you are at work in the world making all things new thank you Lord thank you for this holy call